Stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight, or the ramparts we watch were so gallantly streaming, and the rockets red glare, the bombs bursting. Star-spangled banner, o'er the land of the free. Of the Hey, good morning, Rev City family. Good to be with you today. Good to be with you, those of you joining online. Um, wow. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to Acts chapter 27 and Haggai chapter 2. Turn or click there. Be patient. We'll get there here in a few moments. And listen, I, I, um, I hope that you have found a way to have an awesome Fourth of July weekend. And listen, I, what I understand is that we don't live in a perfect nation, but we live in a great nation. We live in a great nation. There are some painful, unfortunate chapters in the life of our nation and in our history, but listen, in spite of those things, we still have a lot to be thankful and grateful for. And I just wanna encourage you with some things before we dig into the word this this morning. I'm concerned as our pastor about the rising tide of anti-American sentiment that's being expressed. And listen, we... We have a lot to be grateful for in the midst of some things that need to be addressed, that need to be reformed. In the midst of those things, there is still a lot to be grateful for. And I'm concerned about the fact that to recognize some of the things that we need to roll up our sleeves and work on, to improve, to to address, to make right, that to to work on those things, there's this idea that we, we can't remain patriotic. And that we have to pick or choose one or the other. You're either for this group or for this group. And you're either for this cause or for this cause. And I was reminded about the fact that God wrote to the churches in Revelations 2 and and 3. And you could go read those things for yourself. He wrote to to churches. The angel of the Lord, the Bible says, wrote letters to the churches. And I was reminded about something that I believe is really powerful. And that's it. If you'll go read those letters, and specifically three of them, the letter to the church at Ephesus, the letter to the church at, at Pergamum, and the letter to the church at Thyatira, he, he, the angel of the Lord writes to these churches, and he addresses them based on their geography. 
He recognizes their distinction based on where they are in their culture. In other words, he recognizes the nationalities. and He writes specifically to those places, those regions, those nations, and he addresses the good things that are going on in those places, and yet he also addresses the places where they've drifted from God or the places where they need to put their focus upon. Listen, in Genesis chapter 11, God established the nations. They're important to him. Psalm 82 says that the nations are God's inheritance. Psalm 86, 9 says, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you. Oh Lord, they will bring glory to your name. Revelation 7, 9 says, after this I looked before me was a great multitude no one could count. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, every tongue standing before the throne of the land, worshiping him for all eternity. Listen, it's the reason why racism is so evil because God sees beauty in diversity. He created it and it's what heaven will look like. But the spirit of God wrote these letters to these churches and, and he he, he addresses the things that they have good, your love, your faithfulness, your perseverance, some of the things that he acknowledges in the churches before he shifts and begins to say, but I have these things against you, these places that in the midst of the good and the honorable that are a part of your nation and are, are a part of your church, there's some things that you need to focus on. And listen, I don't know about you, but aren't we glad that God is looking for and willing to appreciate some of the good things about our own lives all the while helping us to see the places that we need to continue to grow. Amen. And as a nation, is it possible that even as we acknowledge the areas where we need to repent, where we need to reform, where we need to not take for granted some of the progress that we've made and allow us to grow complacent, there's some things we can continue to get better, there's some things that need our attention, that in the midst of that, that we can also appreciate the fact that we live in a great nation that we live in a nation that has afforded us freedoms and opportunities, and we live in a nation that, that, that stands in many ways alone as a beacon of those things, even in the midst of some of the ways where those things have not been fully applied in equitable ways or, or those things have been abused. Listen, I'm concerned about the idea that we have to pick or choose. You're either, you're either for the law enforcement or you're against law enforcement. Is it possible that we can acknowledge the need for accountability and for reform? Listen, listen, speaking specifically about law enforcement, that we can acknowledge there's a need to make sure that we don't allow those who operate with, with racial motivations or abuse their authority or abuse their power. We need to deal with that, but that we can allow ourselves to also appreciate the honorable majority that signed up to serve and protect their communities. Come on, the ones who race into the fires. The ones who, when we call, race towards the fires and towards the traffic accidents and towards the perilous situations to help to serve and protect and defend. Listen, and it's just worth saying, I really believe there are many, many, many brave and honorable men and women who have enlisted in our armed forces and law enforcement who deserve our honor and support. And listen, I, I, I'm just, I, before we get into the word, on this 4th of July weekend, I just felt the Lord compel my heart to just speak into some of these things and hopefully encourage you with some of these things. And I'm concerned about some of these things. I believe we will not, we cannot curse our way to healing and unity. We need the people of God. We come on, us, 
who have the presence of God and the promises of God, the hope of Jesus Christ to step up and speak up. If we don't, the enemy will always feel the void and his heart and his motivation is to increase and deepen the divides and the division and the hate and the hopelessness. We're not gonna curse our way to deeper levels of healing and unity. It's what I see being plastered on our, the walls of, of our cities and on the streets of our cities. Curse this group and curse this group and curse our nation. We need the people of God to speak up and say, we're not perfect. Our nation is not perfect. There are some things we need to have repented from and there's some ways we need to make some things right. There's some ways we can improve. It's what the Spirit of God was saying to those places. I appreciate this, I appreciate this, this you have going, but in these other ways, give your, give, your, give your attention to these things in a way that helps them to become aligned more with my heart and my ways. Listen, it's important to God. Acts 17, verse 26 says this, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And catch this, listen to this, this is powerful. He decided beforehand their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Listen, in other words, God knew and even decided beforehand where and when you would be alive. You say, well, maybe you have a heart for another nation or for another continent, and maybe that's part of your ministry, but God foresaw and he chose where he would cause you to live and when he would cause you to live. Maybe you have a heart for another nation, that's part of your ministry, but where God's caused you to live is part of your responsibility, part of our responsibility to speak up, to stand up, we need God in America again. And much of what we're seeing is because we've muted God from our culture and we've eliminated him from all the dialogue and the conversations. We need, come on, there's, we don't need to just make America great again. We need to make America God's again. That's the only way, that, that's the only hope for our nation. So can we pray on this July 4th weekend and, and would you just lean in wherever you are and join with me, I'll pray over us corporately, but would you just pray, incline your heart towards God and just ask him, just, just ask him that he would bring revival to our nation, revival to our land, that he would bring the healing and reconciliation. Father, that's our prayer this morning, that you would revive this land, Lord, that you would bring healing and reconciliation, Lord, that you would bring hope for a future for every American God. Where the, in the places where there is, is hurt and there's pain that's causing us, Lord, to deepen divides, Lord, we pray that you would bring healing and, and, and hope and freedom for the future, Lord, in a way that only you can do, Lord. We know that Jesus is the answer. And Lord, I pray that you would quicken us, those of us who are called by your name and who have access to your presence and your promises, Lord, that we would begin to speak words of life, Lord, that we would enter into those situations and be willing to mourn with those who are mourning, God, and also bring about, Lord, the, the hopeful reminder of who you are and who every person is in you, Lord. And we declare that there is hope for the United States of America, Lord, and that you establish this nation, Lord, and we repent for the things that we've gotten wrong, and we pray, Lord, that our future, Lord, would be anchored to you in Jesus' mighty name. And come on, all of God's precious people said, amen, 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 amen. Come on, if you believe that there's hope for our nation and every nation that will call upon the name of the Lord, can we one more time just give the Lord a praise and give him a thanks? Whew. All right, Acts chapter 27. If you're there, say I'm there. And we're gonna continue this morning in our series, Anchored. And I began to just realize that there are storms that we are going through in life. There are storms that our nation is going through. And in, in, in such a time as this, we must be anchored to the promises of God. And in Acts chapter 27, 
what we see is that the Apostle Paul has had this radical conversion experience. He's gone from persecuting believers and persecuting the church to now being an apostle of the faith, used of God to further and advance and establish the gospel, used of God to pen over a third of the New Testament to encourage and to strengthen, to, to comfort and exhort the New Testament church. And we're continuing to benefit from his ministry. And that man, though he's serving God, finds himself imprisoned on account of his faith and being delivered via ship to stand trial for his faith before Caesar. And we pick up the, the story in verse 13. That's the backdrop. And here's what it says. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity to set sail and they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But what started out with a gentle south wind, watch what happens before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. And reading on verse 15, the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. And watch this, catch this. Look what it says that they did. It says, so we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. In other words, they were drifting. Listen, the Lord reminded me of this passage in a recent life experience that I had just a few weeks ago. And if you've heard the story before, bear with me because it sets the scene for the context of the series and the message. But a few weeks ago, I was out of beautiful Clinton Lake on my boat fishing. I like to get out there as often as I can during the summer. And Jesus would get away and pray in the wilderness alone. And it's a great opportunity for me. It's what I do to go out there and just hear from God and spend time with God. I'm praying and I'm worshiping and hopefully catching some fish. And one day I hooked into what I thought was a monster fish. And I reeled and I fought and I reeled and I fought and I pulled it in. And what I thought was going to be a three foot fish turned out to be a six foot log. And my line was all wrapped around it and in, the, in all the hustle and bustle of trying to untangle it all and get it all taken care of, I did not notice that my motor had died. And my motor had died and I had begun to drift. And I looked up and because I had been disappointed and then distracted, I had started to drift and I had drifted to a dangerous place. And it's hard for me to overstate just how stressful this moment was. My boat that just a few minutes earlier was peacefully trolling and, and sailing forward and, and allowing me to enjoy the waters was now pushed up against the rocks, being battered against the rocks with the south winds blowing my boat up onto the north shoreline, this rocky shoreline on Clinton Lake, and I was being battered on the rocks and I was frustrated and I was stressed out and, and I realized the Lord began to speak to me something that there is a danger to drifting spiritually. And that in this season, I began to realize because of the ways that our lives have been interrupted and, and the ways that things have been put on pause, that in many ways, what was once convenient now requires conviction. And that in many ways, me, even as your pastor, that I saw that I was starting to spiritually drift from some things, some of my own commitments and my callings and my convictions, I had begun to spiritually drift. And you cannot afford to drift. Drifting will almost always lead you to a dangerous place. And you will rarely hear me drift to your desired location. And the Lord just began to speak to me that many of us are at the risk in this season of drifting away from some things, drifting to a dangerous place. I got disappointed what I thought was gonna go one way, what I was expecting to be on the other end of that line. I was disappointed. I got distracted. I got discouraged. And I found myself drifting. And listen, in this story, Acts chapter 27, as the storm around them continued to rage, look what it says, jumping down, verse 29. It says, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, we dropped four anchors from the stern and we prayed for daylight. 
Listen, if you've ever felt like your life, your marriage, your family was up against the rocks, you were at risk at being battered and beaten by the storm that you're going through in your life, be encouraged. Hebrews 6.19 says this, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Another translation says that this hope as an anchor for our souls, come on, the hope and the anchor is Jesus Christ is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And God's word wouldn't say it this way if God didn't know that we wouldn't need to see it this way. We have a tendency, and I might even submit even a, a, a likelihood that when we get disappointed or distracted or discouraged, we begin to drift from what really matters. And God began to speak to me through this passage, four anchors. They dropped four anchors, and he reminded me of something that he had spoken to me in a previous season about four things that I believe that if we will focus upon, and I mean really endeavor, dedicate ourselves to be about these four things, staying connected to these four things that even though they all start with the letter P, yeah, roll with alliterations, it's more than an alliteration, it's more than a sermon illustration, it's a recipe for a healthy, dynamic spiritual life in God. Those four anchors, God's presence, being a person of prayer, hitting our knees every day, recognizing my strength for this day and all that it holds before me. I cannot get it from myself. It must come from God. Being people of God's presence, being willing to praise him in the good times and the bad times, encountering his strength and his presence in a way that we can only encounter when we're willing to turn our hearts towards him and say, Lord, I need your presence more than anything today. I need you, an encounter with you, a fresh word from you. I need your wind in my sails. I need your fire in my heart. We must be people of God's presence. We must be people of God's promises, which are found in his word anchored to what God's word has to say about life, to what God's word has to say about marriage, to what God's word says about how to raise those babies that God has entrusted to you, to what God's word says about how to lead your company or lead your staff or how to operate your business, tethered and anchored to God's presence, his promises, God's people. And we look around and we see that the enemy is using everything that's going in our culture to deepen divides and to cause us to become isolated from one another. You cannot afford to become isolated from God's people. And lastly, God's purposes. That there's something he's called you to be putting your hands to. There's something, man of God, that he's called you to be building with your life. There's something, woman of God, that he's called you to advance and accomplish. There are some responsibilities. There are some opportunities. There are some invitations. There's a purpose for your life. Jesus didn't just come to get you to heaven. That's great news, but he came to save you and redeem you so that you could shine brightly as the light so that you could season the earth as the salt of Jesus Christ. There's a purpose for your life. Come on, look at whoever you're blessed to be sitting with here or at home and say, there's a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. And we must stay anchored. All right, if you haven't already, turn to Haggai, turn back to the Old Testament. Haggai chapter two. And those are the four anchors that I really believe. I mean, hear me, people of God, you can be strong in one and weak in another, but if you'll constantly be saying, am I, am I abiding in God's presence? Am I pursuing his presence? Am I staying anchored in his word, his promises? Am I staying connected to his people, to the body of Christ and to the people who are lost that God's called me to be the salt and the light to? Am I staying connected to his purposes for my life? If you'll stay tethered, anchored to those things, I think it will keep you on track, keep you from drifting. I said, well, Lord, how can I encourage the people of God to do those things? Th those are kind of the, the, the what's, but what about the how? And the Lord dropped another four P words on my heart that we should be people of priority, people of pursuit, pursuing, seeking after God, going after the more of God, 
People of passion, our hearts burning brightly for Jesus Christ. No more lukewarm Christianity. We see where that has gotten us. God intends for our fire, our hearts to burn brightly for Jesus Christ. People of perseverance, understanding that there will be obstacles. There will be interruptions. There will be challenges. There's an enemy. There's a, there's a God who has a promise for your life, but there's an enemy who would love nothing more than to cut you off and separate you from the promises and the goodness of God. People of priority, people of pursuit, people of passion, people of perseverance. Priority, putting what is most important in the most important place. First things first, aligning our time, aligning our energy, aligning our efforts to what matters most to God. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that the world says we must be concerned about or consumed with. God will show up in the scene if you'll just make a decision to say, Lord, in all the things, all the responsibilities, all the opportunities, I choose to put you first. I prioritize my relationship with you. And listen, can I encourage you that there is power in a determined quality decision, making a decision to say, we are going to prioritize God. I will prioritize God. Listen, Joshua 24 says it this way, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. We have a free will, we have a choice. There's power in a purposeful, intentional, well thought out, determined decision. We don't have to get blown around by winds of doctrine and the storms of life. Those things are gonna rage, those things are gonna blow. It's up to us to say in the midst of those things, who do I stand for and who do I serve? And Joshua said, if serving God seems undesirable to you, choose for yourselves whom you're gonna serve, the gods of your ancestors from beyond the Euphrates back in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living in. In other words, the things that seem popular or culturally acceptable in the day and the age where you live. He said, if those things are easier for you, if those things are better for you, then choose those things. But he says, as for me, as for me, as for my house, he says, I'm making a decision. I'm making a determination. I'm drawing a line and I'm saying, we will serve the Lord God. We will serve the Lord Jesus Christ, even when it isn't popular. There's power in a decision. Man of God, there's power in a decision. Woman of God, young people, there's power in making a determination, a decision that just says, this is who I am. This is who I stand for. And this is what my life will count for. The pathway of your life vision. And listen, having a vision for your life is critical. But the pathway to that vision is paved with daily decision. And if you think about it, your life is a series of decisions building one upon the other. And it's really true. Most of us are just a few poor choices, a few bad decisions away from drifting. A few bad decisions away from a shipwreck. I mean, it really is true. How I respond, do I, do I react or do I respond? What I decide to do in this moment matters to the rest of my life. It matters to your family. It matters to your marriage. Most of us are just a few bad decisions away from a shipwreck. Sometimes small decisions. In the moment, it seems small. Do I go to the website or do I ask God to give me the self-control? Do I accept the friend request from that old high school flame? Do I respond to the direct message that they sent me or, 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 or not? That little decision affects the trajectory of your life and your marriage. Most of us are just a few poor decisions away from a shipwreck. There's power in decision. 
Here's the good news. You're also just a few decisions away from getting your life back on track. You're also just a few decisions saying, I might have blown it. I might have made some bad decisions. I might be up against the rocks. I might be up against the storm. But today I'm deciding to turn my life around. I'm turning from some things and I'm turning to the one who offers to save me, restore me, redeem me, make my life new, make my life whole, bring fresh life to my marriage, my family, my finances, whatever it is that has gone astray because of some bad choices or poor decisions. Today I decide I'm turning away from those things and I'm turning back to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are also just a decision or two from revival, from renewal, from restoration, from getting your life back on track towards the plan and the purposes of God for your life. That's good news and somebody ought to say amen and amen. There's power in decision. There's power in decision. We need to be people of priority and we need to be people of pursuit. Going after God, intentionally seeking after God, realizing that most good things don't happen in your life by accident. They require determination and decision. And that's where it takes us to Haggai chapter two. And this is kind of a deep passage, but bear with me because there's a powerful truth that lies within it. In Haggai chapter two, verse 10 through 14, and it says this, on December 18th of the second year of King Darius's reign, on December 18th, in other words, six shopping days remaining till Christmas, <laughs> and by the way, all I want for Christmas, come on, is no more coronavirus, no more social distancing, no more masks. Who's with me right there? Who would take that for, for Christmas this year? In the name of Jesus. On December 18th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Ask the priests this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robe, and his robe happens to, say happens to. If his robe happens to, in other words, kind of accidentally, incidentally, not on purpose and pursuit, by accident, if it happens to brush against some of the bread or stew, wine or olive oil or other kinds of food, the question is, if you happen to bump in while you're carrying something holy, will these other things become holy? And the priest replied, no. Reading on, verse 13, then Haggai asked if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person, which represents sin. If someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead thing, a dead person, and then touches some of these foods, will the food become defiled? And the priests answered, yes. And Haggai responded and said, this is how it is with this people and with this nation, says the Lord. And here's the moral of the story, that you rarely drift to a place where you're closer to God. You rarely drift. You rarely happen to pursue the purpose of God for your life. Anything that's worth doing almost always requires determination and decision. You will rarely, you, you, in fact, I, I just, I believe it can be said this strongly. You will never casually or happen by happenstance grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It always happens because you make a determined decision and say, as for me, as for my house, we will serve the Lord. We will grow in the Lord. We will build his kingdom. We will build his church. We will be about what matters to him. You never drift to your desired location. And greatness, and, and hear, me, hear me today, God has called you and appointed you and prepared you and planned for you greatness for you. 
It might not look like what the world establishes is what greatness is and how greatness is defined, but you have the spirit of God in you. You are created in the very image of God and you are called to live in this place in such a time as this. There is greatness that is called that you are called to and greatness rarely occurs by accident. Great lives of faith will not happen by accident. They happen by purposeful priority and pursuit. Great marriages that, 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 that make it through the storms of life because every marriage will go through a storm. Great marriages don't happen by accident. They happen because of purpose, priority, and pursuit. Raising your kids, come on, not just to be good kids. We wanna raise godly kids, kids that know their God and know who they are in him and are equipped and prepared to know his word and know that they are called to be world changers for him. That will not happen by accident. It only happens by design where you say, we can, we're not smart enough. We're not good enough. Our parents didn't do a good enough job showing us we must have the word of God and the presence of God if we're gonna raise these kids to be more than good kids, godly kids. Greatness rarely occurs by accident. Priority, people of priority, people of pursuit, actively pursuing more of God, going after, running after, longing for more. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find you when you seek after me with all of your heart. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29 says the same thing in a slightly different way. But if from there, in other words, where you are today, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, where you are today, from that place, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. How if you seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul? We must be people that prioritize what matters to God. Pursue after him with all of our heart, all of our soul. We must be people of perseverance, priority, pursuit, perseverance. There's gonna be obstacles. There's gonna be interruptions. There's gonna be things that don't go the way that we thought they were gonna go. And God knew that. The word of God owns that. Jesus never promised us that when we gave our life to him and began serving him, that we wouldn't have trials or obstacles. For goodness sake, the whole chapter that we're reading about is the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ dedicated his life to God and the building of the kingdom of God and the writing of the New Testament of God. And he's in prison for his faith and being delivered by a ship to stand trial for his faith. We're gonna experience some obstacles. We have to be a persevering people to get to the goal, to win the championship, to see the marriage, to see the family, you're gonna have to persevere by faith. Listen, we're all gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna experience setbacks. We're all gonna face maybe even unfair or unjust things that you couldn't have expected and maybe never did deserve. But in that moment, we have to look to God's word and Hebrews 12, one tells us what to do. Because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Come on, those things that are trying to attach themselves to you to weigh you down and keep you from moving forward. It says those things, that sin so easily entangles. We gotta throw those things off so we can run with what? Perseverance. The race that's marked out for us. How do we do it? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We're all gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna experience opposition. We're all gonna experience some setbacks, unjust, unfair things. And when you do, you have a decision, how will I respond? Will I allow this to become a part of my identity, intrinsically a part of who I am? This mistake, this failure, this unjust, unfair thing, will I allow the enemy to put me into the mindset of a victim? 
Or will I step up and stand back up and trust God to pick me back up like the word of God says that he will? A righteous person might stumble seven times, yet he rises all the more. Will I allow the enemy to cause me to become a victim or will I stand as a victor? Understanding that God is with me and he's for me and maybe things didn't go the way I thought they were gonna go, but God's gonna see me through. You're not a victim. You might have had some stuff happen. Didn't go the way that you thought it was gonna go. If you will persevere in faith towards the promises, the presence, the people, the purposes of God, you will rise in triumph because of the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, it's true. Someone ought to say amen to that. He's called you to live victorious. James 1.12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he stood the test, he receives the crown of life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, Galatians 6 says, and due season will reap if we do not what? Give up. You gotta persevere. You gotta persevere in faith. Listen, your setbacks, oftentimes your setbacks are a setup for God to show up. You can't get the testimony without the test. You can't, you can't get the message without the mess. God wants to show up. Your setback is a setup for God to show up in your life. We must be people of priority, pursuit, perseverance. And lastly, and I'll close with this, the worship team can come and join me on the platform. Lastly, passion. There's a fire that God has intended to burn in your heart. A fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fire that, that God intends to burn in your heart. A fire, listen, think about it. A, a, a fire that consumes and burns away all the lies and the deceptions, the sin, the guilt, the shame that the enemy has tried to attach to your soul. There's a fire that God desires to burn in your life that consumes those things. And in that place where those things that the enemy has tried to attach to your life, the refuse of life that, that, that is burned away by the fire of God in that same place, then the same fire begins to fuel your life forward. Think about it. There's a fire that God desires to burn in your heart. And here's what I know about fires is that fires, if they are left unattended, if we drift from our attention, our priority, our focus, our pursuit to the fire of God that's in our heart, in our life, that God intends when God came and filled the New Testament church with the Spirit of God, it rested upon them like tongues of fire and a rushing wind, a rushing wind that was intended to keep the fires fanned into flame and to cause it to spread all across the earth for the glory of Jesus Christ. There's a fire that's intended to burn in our lives. There's a fire that's intended to burn in our hearts. But when we drift, many times that fire begins to wane. Fires have to be tended. God's part is to birth the fire. Our part is to keep the fire. Fires have to be tended. Fires have to be stoked. They need fresh fuel, fresh wind. Fire, sometimes when you have enough fuel and you have an ember right there, sometimes you gotta stir the fire to cause it to come back to flame. And I was carrying this in my heart and the Lord just began to just speak to me and remind me about the significance of fanning into flame the fire in your life, in your heart. If there's anything, when I have the privilege and the honor to stand behind this pulpit and preach to you as Rev City Church, this family of God, this family of believers, the body of Christ, if there's anything that's in my heart to accomplish in your life, it's to cause the fire of God and for God to burn brightly in your heart because if that fire is burning, It burns away the lies of the enemy and it fuels you forward. 
it fuels your marriage. There's a, there's a fire, there's a passion. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, he's writing from a place of imprisonment and it's the last letter, the last opportunity, the last thing that he has, the last opportunity that he has to share and encourage and inspire or remind or, or, or comfort or, or exhort his spiritual son, Timothy. And so what he says is really significantly important. What does he say? He says, for this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame. The gift of God, the spirit of God, the presence of God, the purpose of God that he's called you to, that I, I imparted to you when I laid my hands upon you, fan that thing into fire. Don't let the fire go out. Keep your heart passionate for Jesus, his presence, his promises, his people, his purposes for your life. And right there, would you stand to your feet here in this room and maybe where you're gathering with us remotely. And I was carrying this in my heart and the Lord just began to speak to me that there are many precious people, I mean believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who in this season, because of disappointment, distraction, discouragement, delay, defeat, that that fire in our hearts has begun to wane. And that as that fire has begun to wane, that many of us have found ourselves on the edge of depression, of a deep discouragement, of this thing that's not just, you, you can afford to be discouraged every now and then, but you cannot afford to stay discouraged. It's why it's so important to be in God's presence, in His promise, with His people, living out His purposes. It keeps you anchored to moving forward in God, but, but the Lord just spoke to me that there are many precious people, I mean precious people, people who love the Lord, but the fire of God has begun to wane in your life. And I believe that when the Lord reveals something, it's because He wants to heal something. And I believe that today, if that's you, that fire no longer burning brightly in your heart, no longer burning away those lies of the enemy, maybe some things have made it through, that fire no longer fueling you forward to the purposes of God in your life, that today God's revealing that to you because He wants to heal it in you. And today God wants to bring a fresh wind. And today God wants to bring a fresh fire. And I believe He'll do it for those of us who are willing to be real with God and say, God, that's me in this moment, in this season, because of the distraction, discouragement, disappointment, the fire in my heart is beginning to wane. And I want the fire of God to once again burn brightly in the heart of my soul. If that's you right there, just get real with God. Just, just tell him, say, God, that's me. And maybe you wanna put your hands up before yourself like this, just in a posture of receiving and saying, God, fill me, God, touch me. God, strengthen me. God, blow again upon the embers of my heart in a way where even just that little spark, that's all you need, just a little spark. And maybe there's someone today that says, Pastor T, you don't even know all I have. I don't even have the little spark. And I'm just telling you because of who you are, created in God's image, there's a spark, there's an ember. And today God wants to come and breathe upon it. Lord, let the, let the wind of God, let the fire of God begin to, to blow and to burn in our lives once again today in Jesus' mighty name. I pray that, I declare that, I speak that over this congregation, I speak that over every man, over every woman, over every young person, Lord, the passion of God to begin to burn brightly in our hearts. Lord, that we would make a decision as for me and my house today, moving forward, we will serve the Lord. That we would prioritize what matters to you, that we would pursue what brings life to us, your presence and promises, God. That we would persevere, Lord, when the obstacles come, when the opposition comes, that we would be a people of persevering faith, that we would not fold up and go home, but we would stand strong and stand firm. We recognize, Lord, that you are the, that foundation. You are our anchor. We anchor ourselves to you. Listen, right there, just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you speaking to me? What's my part? What's my response? 
What of those things do I need to become reconnected to? Your presence, your promises, your people, your purposes. What of those things can I begin to go in this week? What's that look like for you to go and apply what it looks like to live a life of priority and pursuit and perseverance and spiritual passion for God? What's that look like for you? What's your part? What are the decisions you can make today to live it out this week? And just watch what God does in your life, man of God. Just watch what he does in your life, woman of God. So Lord, thank you that you're speaking. Is he speaking to you? I wanna pray for you. Father, touch us, fill us, refresh us, Lord. Fresh wind in our sails, fresh fire in our hearts, God, to move forward to your purposes. And lastly, if you're here today or you're joining us online and you've drifted, you're far from God. Listen, we believe you're here in this room or you're tuning in online and it is no accident. It is because of the heart of a good father who loves you so much and he sees and he knows everything you've been through and where you stand or sit today. And he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price that you could never pay to make a way to bring you back into a relationship with God that transcends religion. And listen, if that's you right where you are, just respond to God and say, that's me, God. I'm far from you and I desire to come home to you to that relationship. I turn from some things and I turn back to you today. I, I repent of my sin and I put my trust in you. It's something we can never earn, we can never deserve. It's the free gift of salvation that we receive because of the grace of God, we receive it by faith. And listen, if that's you, you're making that determination in your heart today. We wanna pray with you. And church family, we do this together. Every week we do it for a couple of reasons. And one is to show those of you who are responding in your heart to Jesus today, giving your life to Jesus, rededicating your life to Jesus. Those of you who are doing that, we pray this with you because we want you to know there's a family of God here at Rev City Church that wants to stand with you to encourage and strengthen you in your fresh faith in Jesus Christ. And two, we do it because it reminds us even as we're growing in our faith, we never graduate from grace. We need Jesus today as much as we ever have. And so come on church with everything you have, repeat this after me, Father in Jesus name, I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you that life. I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. And come on, right where you are, would you just rejoice with all of heaven for the precious people who gave their life to Jesus Christ? And listen, if, if that's you, friend, we would love to hear from you. Would you text us? We have a gift we would love to give you. We have a Fresh Start Bible just like this one that we would love to send to you. Would you text New Life to 30500 or email us at newlife at revcity.com. And if you're here in person, we have that gift bag. We have that Bible waiting for you right after the service, right out here at Guest Central on your left as you exit. Aren't you glad that God's not finished with us? He's faithful. He's leading us through the storms of life. He is a sure, steadfast, firm foundation. That's good news, amen? Come on, let's worship the Lord one more time together today. Yeah, come on, put your hands together for Jesus. He's worthy. He's worthy.